0: chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Revelation chapter 2 got a lot to unpack because it is the first letter of the seven letters to the seven churches. Let's read verse 1. We'll put it in context, then come back. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We ask, Lord, that you would direct our hearts to your will, to your purposes. Lord, biblically, that's how we need to think, not worldly. And, Father, allow our hearts to draw close to you through these red letters. Thank you, Lord, for those serving. We thank you and ask that you'd bless those who can't be with us today watching us over the internet and over the radio. We love you, Lord. Speak to us again in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19 tells us the key to Revelation. This is always important because we're going to continue to make this a point so that you can understand how easy it is to understand the book of Revelation. It is actually really easy. When I nod my head, it means put the screen on. There you go. All right. We're just trying to work out some details there. <laughs> Write the things which you've seen. That was chapter 1. We've already accomplished that. Things which are, that's going to be over the next couple of weeks, chapter 2 and 3, and the things which will take place after this. Excuse me. So once we get this idea, once we have this key, the book starts to make sense. Now, in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says Ephesus, and so you'll know that on the map. Let's make sure excuse me, it's always when I start that my throat starts to tickle. Yes, anybody? So we talked about last week how uh, John was uh, on the Isle of Patmos, but as you can see also, the other seven letters represented on the map, which is in modern-day Turkey, Ephesus is there, Smyrta is there, and as you'll see, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea now remember there were other churches in this area this isn't the totality of the churches but these were the churches whom Jesus remember red letters chose to write and so they are going to be our focus over the next few weeks the church of Ephesus is going to be what we're focused on today now Micah let's go ahead and put up that slide Let's talk about the four ways of application, and we, we got to this last week, and you need to remember this. We'll, we'll bring this slide up every week. Now, when we're applying these seven letters to the seven churches, you need to see that it is applicable in these ways. Number one, these are real churches that John is writing to in 90 AD. You just saw the map. These are physical churches at 95, did I say 90? 95 AD. These are real churches. You can go there today. We'll show some images of the ruins of Ephesus, but these are real churches. The other way is we will see, and we'll make note of that every time we go through, is that each of these churches represent a period of history in church history. So it's very valuable, and it's amazing how accurate These seven churches are when it relates to history. And in fact, if you look at your little handout that you have, right underneath the name of the church, you will see that... I I realize it's in really small font. I can't even see it. I have to have it on my iPad and then blown up. (laughs) So, but you can see the church history and the date on there. That's important for you, and we'll make note of that. As we will see today, the Epheson Ephesian Ephesian church is the apostolic church in the period of time in which it's in, but it also applies to to churches today. That means the actual churches in our community, and you can have multiple different churches in a community. You can have a church that's an Ephesus, you can have a church that's a Laodicean church. The the entitled church you're going to see some philadelphian churches you're going to see some dead churches in a community amen and you're going to see some compromising churches you're going to see the church state religion if you go over to europe you'll see that is not the church of england that way the lutheran church for almost 500 years has been the state church of germany And so these are churches today, but lastly and more importantly, how to apply these seven letters to the seven churches, as we will see today, how tragic it is that it isn't talked about a lot in churches, is how it applies to us personally. Because we always want to take the Bible and we always want to apply it to us personally. How is this going to affect me? Now, what's interesting in a room this size, and this amount of people, you are going to have different types of people in their walks with Christ and where they are. You might be in an Ephesian church today by somebody in the front, might be a Laodicean or a Philadelphian church. Does that make sense to you? This all applies to different people at different stages. Now, what's interesting too is you could start out as an Ephesian church and then later on become a Philadelphian church or sadly, even become apostate and go into the Laodicean church. So these four ways are how we are going to look at each letter as we work our way through. Does that kind of give you an idea? And every single letter, we will bring up the slide. And as you make notes, and I encourage you to make notes, we always have pads of paper, by the way, in the back, and we have plenty of pens. We encourage you to do that. We encourage you to mark up your Bibles if you've got a, a... An electronic device like an ipad you can easily make notes inside of that as well and i encourage you as you go through as you write ephesus you can write these four points we're going to see in a minute we have four other points that to make as well but this is how we're going to apply them and i would love for you as you go through this to see where you are in your walk isn't that not important You might be reading one of these and go, well, that doesn't apply to me. But yes, but one of them will. One of them will apply uh, to you, and we will see, I I will tell you a lot, especially in the United States of America, more churches and more people are represented by the church of Ephesus than any other church. There's a lot to unpack. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts so that we would be truthful with him so we can do restoration and improvement and correction in our life. The other thing that's important about how to apply this is the four C's. Now, you're holding in your hand something by Dr. Ironside, and he wrote this a long time ago, but it's still applicable today. And the four C's, now, this is so old, what I tried to do... (laughs) Uh, was to give you some modern words to that And so the four C's or the commendation Each church is going to have something That Jesus congratulates or praises Or recognizes what they are doing Today he's going to say I know your works I know your labor I know your patience. How you, you search out those who are evil I know that you don't like the deeds of the Nicolaitans Those would all be in the praise or the recognition of the church. But there's also then a condemnation, that being criticism, a censure, or disproval. And so, as we'll see, the condemnation today is that you have left your first love. There will be churches that don't have a condemnation. There will be some that don't have a commendation. But there will always be those churches that need counsel, And that is caution or direction, recommendation, guidance, or advice. This is Jesus speaking to these churches. But again, speaking about the four ways that we apply it, it is speaking to us. How are we going to get out of the problem that we are in, in the Ephesian church? Well, Jesus is going to tell us. I don't know about you, but I love that in the Bible that God always reveals a problem to us, but he shows us how to fix it, amen? I want to make sure everybody's uh, awake at this point. You're writing notes, you're falling asleep already. The last is a challenge, and the challenge is a to confront what you have read and to challenge you to be an overcome. I want to overcome. You're going to see this phrase over and over even today to become overcomers overcoming these issues and when you overcome there will be a promise you will receive something and so in this handout it literally has everything that you need to succeed through these seven letters to the seven churches and and it is my goal to bring a fresh perspective to this today as you will see I will I will talk about something I have never talked about before especially in the church of Ephesus. But I want to apply it to where we live today, not only in South Carolina, not only in Horry County, the United States of America, not only just Western society. Guys, I want to apply it to us, how we are, our walk with God. That's important because at the end of the day, God, I know this is shocking, God doesn't care that we went to Calvary Chapel or some denominational church, or a state-run church. What he cares about is your personal walk, and that's important. And now, yes, the church where you go is important. I don't want to, no letters. It is important, but what's most important at the end of the day is your conversation with Jesus at the Bema seat, just one-on-one. Okay, Micah, is that the last of our... But we have some Ephesus photos. Yep, we'll do those in a little bit. All right, verse 1. <laughs> that was only 11 minutes. I have a question for you today. How much silt, do you know what silt is? How much silt has built up in your life? And if you don't know what silt is, I will describe that as we go through. So the question is, how much silt is built up in your life. You see, this portion of Scripture has been strangely neglected inside of the church for the last 2,000 years, and even, and more especially, even today. The book of Revelation is seen as a problem book. It it really isn't applicable. I mean, it's an enigma. Who can understand it? Well, we will. And again, the tools that we are giving you today, seeing the verses that help us understand the the book of Revelation, but also that these are red letters of Jesus Christ. Do you have a red letter version of your Bible? Again, while many turn to the epistles of Paul and other portions of the New Testament for uh, church truth or church doctrine, often the letters to the seven churches are neglected and sadly they're neglected but again they're from Jesus why would we ignore something from Jesus just because it's inside of a book that may not be for uh, for our purposes easily understood by the common church community well i'm not going to go into revelation yeah what why not a lot of it is red letters why would i not want to hear from Jesus especially these letters. Again, the neglect has contributed to churches today being ignorant of Bible truths and thus going into places that the Bible doesn't even address. Again, guys, the Bible is not progressive. That's a big word today. It's instructive. Do you see that? It doesn't change. The Bible doesn't know anything about social justice or genders. It doesn't know that. What it knows is truth. It knows one justice. It knows two genders. It's not progressive. It's instructive. Now think about how many people are missing that today inside of the church. Listen, I would love to stream to every church in America, the Seven Letters to the Seven Churches. We might see some actual reform going on, not only in churches, but in human lives. When we get to the Church of Laodicea, you will be well, you won't be shocked, but you might be shocked by the things that are coming out of churches today. Sadly, not about culture. It's about Jesus. And yes, we live in the culture, but the culture does not dictate what we say from the pulpit. It has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with this book that is in your hand. Amen? Amen. All right. So let's look at the ways of applying. Uh, uh, well, I already did that. What, Ron, would you just follow your notes? Okay. <laughs> I already did that. He says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, Please note with me the word church there. It means to be called out. The church is called out from a previous relationship with the world and now has a relationship with Jesus. You need to know that. If you're inside of what is called the body of Christ, this church And you need to know that you've been called out of the things of the world, and now you are the bride of Christ. You have a special relationship. And he says to the church of Ephesus. Let's run some of those. Let's show some images. A couple of years ago, a couple of the guys and I, we were here in Ephesus. And if travel ever opens up again, we'd love to take you guys on a tour Of Turkey and Greece. This is uh, it, it is wonderfully preserved. It's probably one of the best, next to Athens and some of the Greek cities. Um, but this is Ephesus. I mean, I mean, think about walking down that road and having shops on the left and right, right? Just a minute in, in ninety AD. What what that looked like? What that smelled like? Oh, really, like? <laughs> Yeah, but the Romans had plumbing. It's okay. Now, look at this amphitheater. Look at this view from the amphitheater. Paul talks about how when he was there in Ephesus, and you got to remember that Paul is the one who planted this church, right? He had been there for a long time. This is one of the most important churches uh, in Asia Minor at the day. And remember, they were yelling for hours, great is the Temple of Diana, and they're shouting this out. And again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Go read uh, in Acts how that uh, the church is established, and then later on, the the actual letter to the Ephesians. But from this view, can you see that in the back in the distance, those mountains there, and there's a plain to the right? There's a coastal access. At some point, Ephesus, as we will see, uh, was no longer a port city. Originally, it had been a prosperous city, one of the largest commercially in the Roman province. It was an important city, very important. It was founded on the river uh, Caester, and it was an important harbor. It was, a, it was a port city. The problem is, did you see that, uh, that, that, that image? Throw that up again, Micah. Uh, there's no port. Why? Because the Caister River gradually filled in the harbor. Through continuing attempts to clean the harbor, certain channels were kept open for a while, but eventually the port of Ephesus lost its accessibility to the sea and therefore declined uh, as an important city. Now when we get to Smyrna and the modern day of Ismir today, that, is a, that was an important port city, and they basically took on the role of what Ephesus used to be. Now, I want you to hear that. Ephesus used to be a thriving port, but because of the silt coming down from the mountains, eventually filled in their entire port area to which you can see that plain. By the way, see that road right there on the right side going out? That used to go to the docks. Do you see that? And it used to be as you brought that, the goods off of the docks, they brought them into the city on that road. There's no docks. There's no access to the sea. That's what I want you to have in your head today. What is my access to the sea? And, and has my heart been filled with silt? Now, yes, the city was also accessible by land. There were highways, and that's why the city never really died out. It, it always stayed important, uh, and it was that. Now, let's talk about the religious life of Ephesus. It revolved around two things. Number one, it revolved around the Greek goddess Artemis, or we might know her from the Roman goddess Diana. And again, remember, they shouted for hours, Great is Diana! Diana! Now, um, it was one of the seven wonders of the world, this temple to Diana. It was amazing. Each of, inside of the uh, temple, there were 120 columns dedicated by a king or an emperor in the area. It was amazing, the, 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 the magnitude of this building. The images of Artemis was one of the most sacred objects of worship in the ancient world. But the funny thing is, it, she wasn't beautiful. She was a multi-breasted, and if you go to England and to the, um, the Museum of England, you can see one of these little idols, they found it, uh, of Artemis and Diana. You, would, you think of like Diana today or Artemis of this beautiful statue, that's not who she was. In fact, it's very Samaritan in its origins. The Samaritans also had an idol like this. Now, the temple of Artemis also was a major treasury and a bank in the day. So not only was there worship to Diana, but there was also a commercial aspect to it. Again, let's see how we can... uh, New York is kind of like that, right? It's a commercial place it's also a religious place in how people believe. Um, Think about uh, cities like Miami or Los Angeles or Seattle. These are important cities for not only commerce coming in, banking coming in, but also, like in California, ideas going out. And that's really what Ephesus was. Later on, Ephesus took on one more worship, and that worship was the Caesar worship. Eventually, they built a temple. Uh, Domitian built a temple, but when he died, they tore it down because they didn't like him. But they eventually built other temples to Caesar. The idea of Caesar worship, pinching a piece of incense to Caesar and saying, Caesar is Lord. And by doing that, you were allowed to buy and sell. And we will get to that when we get to the mark of the beast because the Ephesians knew exactly what John is talking about. Again, these letters written to them, they're not written to us in 21, right? They're written to them in 90 AD with all of the language that they would understand. They don't need John to sit down and write a commentary of his letter for them to understand it. They knew exactly what he was saying when he wrote this to them. The imagery that he speaks about, it is going to come into their head and they're going to know. Now, when we look at each, there's one last point I need to, and then we'll move on to verse 2. In each of these seven messages, they begin with a personal description of Jesus Christ taken from the vision that was in chapter 1. So each church has a little bit of that vision in chapter 1. Uh, in the case of Ephesus, it's talking about, notice it says that these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. In, in this case, he's talking about the Ephesian uh, elders. He's talking about the group of people that have come in and out of there. It, you got to remember, this was a hotbed uh, of ch- of church uh, speakers coming in and out. It, Paul was there. Timothy was there. Um, Apollos had come in there, and eventually John. Jeez, my mind just about stopped there for a minute. That's why i got to put it in my notes. Anybody else, you're getting to that age, you're like, i got to write it down. Thank God for the, the phone that you can speak into, but that, that's another thing. Guys, how easy it is for the church to become proud and forget that pastors and teachers are God's gifts. Again, Paul was talking about, I'm, I'm one of Apollos, I'm one of Paul or, or Peter, and we can get into this cult of personality thing, and Ephesus was a church that pretty much had every um, top dog speaker come through their church. Can you imagine that, that you're part of that church and you got to? Listen, I, I think about Costa Mesa and how many people Pastor Chuck brought through that church to speak. Tim Temboom. Can you imagine that? But you can get a kind of a puffed-up head. Oh, we're Costa Mesa. Oh, look! Look at how many people have come through. Sorry, Jan and Chuck. Used to be a Costa Mesa. Their heads are not blown up, though. So he says, "The angel of the church of Ephesus." So he's writing to the messenger. Verse. And someone said that in between services last week that I did not mention that. But the angel is not an angel. It is the pastor. Uh, Of that church, it's better translated messengers. Now let's look at this church, shall we? Verse 2. Now, every time we go through these letters, I won't have to say everything I said today. We'll just start out and we'll, we'll start going through. We'll show the slides and then move forward. He says, I know your works. Your labor, your patience and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and you have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. But nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember where you have fallen, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And to him who overcomes, I will give him to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Verse 2, as we can see, This is known as the working church. Now, in that ways to apply our seven letters to the seven churches, there's the four ways. We just mentioned Ephesus as a real church. In your timeline that you have there, you see that that is the early church or what is known as, let me go to a bigger note I have, the uh, apostolic church because that's that's from A.D. 30 to about A.D. 100. This is known as the early church. This church, as we will see, is, yes, representative today, but when we're talking about real church history, was only that beginning church. And listen, I might offend somebody today, but there are no apostles today. There are no A apostles. You had one group of guys. They had a specific job to do, and that job was not only to bring this message out in the beginning, but also write God's Word. This book is done. Do you know that? Because there are some, I was just checking, there are some who say it's not done. In fact, there's another New Testament of Jesus Christ. But it is done, and the apostles had a part of putting this together, getting this set forth. And so an apostle is just one sent forth by God. So I don't believe that anybody has authority to change this book today. It can't be done. So because it's in stone and because it was finished, we don't have that role as they had previous. So this church is known as a working church or a laboring church. Now, when you read that, you're you're like, hey, I'd like to go to this church. I mean, they hate some stuff that Jesus hates. They're getting rid of some evil. It seems like they're doing a lot of good things. Are they not? Sounds like a pretty fun church to attend, except for that part where you left your first love, and we'll get to that. But other than that, it sounds like it's very exciting. Not all all acts of service are too small to escape the Savior's notice. I want you to hear that. Because inside of this church, it's a working church. It's a laboring church. And Jesus sees everybody who labors with the right motive for him and for the kingdom of God. Someone once said, to come to Christ costs nothing. To follow Christ costs something. But to serve Christ costs everything. Jesus said, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It does cost us something. He says, I know your works. So Jesus looks at his church and he knows what's going on inside of every single church. There's no mystery to him. There's no hidden anything to Jesus. And he would say that to everybody today. Remember, we're applying it not only to churches, but applying it individually God knows what's going on in your life today. You cannot hide it. Go ahead, try. I'll I'll wait. Go ahead and lock the door to that secret room in your life. Go ahead, do it. I'll wait. Can't be done. He can see it all. Now, note with me in this verse, it says, You cannot bear those who are evil. The Ephesian church also pursued doctrinal purity. Now, we don't like to say doctrine today. People say doctrine and they just get bored. I don't want to hear about doctrine. But in Acts 20, Paul says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in amongst you, not sparing the flock. Also from amongst yourself men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. And so Jesus brings to their remembrance that which Paul had told them only some 45 years before. The time in which Paul left wrote the, the letters to Ephesus to the time now that we are reading is roughly 40-some years. That's not a long time, is it? In 40 years, they let the silt build up in this church. The church today, like the Ephesian church, must vigorously test those who claim to be messengers from God, especially those who they are, notice, they claim to be apostles. They claim to have Some kind of authoritative message. And yet that authoritative message is not biblical. I can't tell you how many times through the ministry, not only of this church, but being a pastor, I've heard of people bringing me some new book or some new thing. And somebody claims to have some authoritative message for the church, some new thing. There is no new thing. I just want to get everybody on the same page. To, there is no private interpretation, Peter says, of the scriptures. There is not something that all of a sudden we're going to go, ah! Now, there are things that come into play because of time, because of technology, that, but it is no new revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those. Who are evil, and you have tested those who say that they are apostles and have not, and found them liars. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. I mean, it, it, it's a pretty good church, isn't it? They're doing Bible studies, they're building camp facilities. They're reaching out into the community with radio stations, with billboards. But verse 4, he says, nevertheless. When you read nevertheless, what does that say? It means, paraphrase, the stuff before doesn't mean anything because now there is a nevertheless. So what was good is now... eh? Not so good, because there's a nevertheless. Guys, you don't ever want to have Jesus say, hey, nevertheless, because that's not good. So what's the not good? He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left, not lost, left your first love. Though the Ephesians had not departed completely from their love for God, it no longer had the intensity or meaning it once had, which often can become a very serious condition. The church's problem evidently was not a lack of faith. It was not a lack of standing up for doctrinal truths. It wasn't about their will and service to God. Instead, It was a matter of the heart. The passion that they once had for Christ had grown cold. The Ephesians' cooling heart that had overtaken them was a dangerous forerunner of spiritual apathy that later was to erase most of their testimony of this church. Again, it's important for us to learn from the Ephesian church and learn from this apathy. Listen, the pattern is sadly familiar in the church and in church history. It goes something like this. A cooling of a church's love for Christ. Then it's a replacement by the love of the things of the world. So remember, nature cannot have a void. So if I'm leaving Jesus and my love, I'm going to replace it with something, and that's the world. And so we often start to compromise And then there is spiritual corruption that comes followed by a departure from the faith and a loss of an effective spiritual testimony. Now, I'm not going to pick on any one denomination uh, or church today. I'll save that for future uh, seven letters to the seven churches. And again, I I, want to make this statement right now. In every church, there are believers. Every church, there are believers in the Roman Catholic Church. Make no mistake. There are people that love Jesus and we will see them in heaven. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about groups or systems, or we would know them as um, organized religion. Mm -hmm. Now, by the time the Ephesian church gets this letter, Remember I said there are about 40-ish years past, 45 years something past the time in which Paul had wrote his letter to the Ephesians, let alone him being part of that church. So now most of the Ephesian Christians were now second generation believers. And though they had retained purity of doctrine and life and had maintained a high level of service, they were lacking a deep devotion to Christ how the church today needs to hear the same warning. Listen, that orthodoxy and service are not enough. Christ wants believers' hearts as well as their hands and their heads. As we will see, this is a busy church. The problem with being busy in the church is you can forget who you're being busy for. Everybody got that? Remember, I did not hire you, Jesus would say to you today. Did you get that? You're not a hireling. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God, priests and kings for the king of the universe. But we often have a relationship with God based on an employer, and employee stance. Do you hear that? Ask my boss. Guys, I'm guilty of that. I say that all the time. Uh, My boss is Jesus. And we can get into that and slip into that. Guys, what are the fringe benefits of our boss? Eternal life. How could that be bad? And so our relationship with Jesus is based then upon works, which are important. But a true relationship is based on love. This is what Jesus is talking about. And that this church and individuals like it, they move away from serving Jesus because they, they used to love him and now they are just going through the motions of church. No show of hands. How many of you have ever just done church? You're on autopilot. Really? And I'm speaking to people on the radio right now. Are you on autopilot? I just come to church. My church has stained glass. We do communion every once in a while. I throw a couple of coins into the bucket or into the offering. Every once in a while, I might get adventurous and serve in children's ministry. Once in a while, I might do that homeless ministry just to prove how pious I am. I might even have a Christian t-shirt. And You can go through the motions of church. You can go through the motions of church here. Come in, sit down, open up the bulletin. How many words is Pastor Ron going to destroy the English language today? Read the psalm again. Read the psalm. Sit down. Hallelujah. Great. When's the next potluck? When's the next communion? Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday. And we can go through the motions. And it's very easy. If you're guilty of that today, (laughs) I don't ever do this. Are you guilty of that today? Raise your hand. Well, the pastor's guilty of it? Yes, the rest of you are liars. (laughs) And we're going to talk about lying in the Bible. (laughs) Are you guilty of just going through the motions? As a pastor, I am really... um, I have to really be careful about going through the motions. I have to be care- careful about my study time, what I read, the time I put into it. I can, it can be real easy. Do you know, and not, this is not of pride, that I could teach this entire Bible? Because I have done it. I was in Madagascar one time, and I asked the Bible college students there, I said, listen, I want to teach you something about being a pastor because they were learning how to be pastors. And I said, you know, you have to be ready in season and out of season to teach God's word at any time. So I asked them, I said, hey, pick a book of the Bible right now and I will teach from it. And they picked Peter and we opened up and I started teaching from it. Because I can do that, because I've done that and I've taken not only this church but also my youth group before in California through the Bible. So it's real easy for me to do that, to go through the motions. But on Sunday, on Wednesday when I'm teaching, God, what do you want specifically for me to say? What do you want that person to hear today? And because everybody in the room is in a different place in their life and their walk with Christ, the the uh, part of Scripture is going to apply differently. I love that someone gets one thing out of it, and then you talk to them, and you go, I didn't get that out of it. I got this out of it. Are you sure he was talking to you? Or my favorite, you were just talking to me today, Pastor. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> of course I was. I... I've got Apple. They downloaded what you said last night. (laughs) I've got an app. (laughs) Listen, can we go through the motions? Absolutely of church. That's the most dangerous thing. I don't want you to go through the motions. Do you know you can go through the motions in your relationship with your spouse as well? Is it not easy to go through the motions? Oh, I hit a nerve there. I I was good until that point, and then you said that, and I now my lunch is ruined. (laughs) Listen, there is a reason why marriage is a picture and a type of what the body of Christ is. There's a reason why God has children. Oh some of you are like, we're still trying to figure that out. The whole reason. Perseverance, patience, how God deals with us. When we blow it, what does God do when we blow it? And these pictures that God has through the Bible, but we can get complacent in our own relationship as well. We can go through the motions. And Jesus would say to us the fix in verse 5. I got to get going here. (laughs) I forget sometimes I have a second service. Remember. That's a hard word today, isn't it? Because our country doesn't want to remember. It doesn't like it. Remember. Remember what it was like, Jesus is going to say, when you first met me. Remember what it was like to come in church for the first time after you got saved. Because before we were a bunch of wackos. And now we're kind of okay. All right, mainly some of you. But you come into church, you got a Bible, you open it up, and now it's different. Do you remember those days? Do you remember when you told other people what you read that week in your Bible? Do you remember that? Do you remember how excited it was to look at a passage and then I taught on that passage? You're like, I got the same thing! Woohoo! Do you remember that? Do you remember when you used to say woo-hoo to Jesus? Then you're like, I'm a little bit more conservative now. I only, only raise my hand during the worship like this. <laughs> Maybe this. Remember when you used to do this? Lord, I surrender all to you. Do you remember those days when you were excited about Jesus? That's all Jesus is saying. Do you remember that when you were that excited about your spouse? Again, there's there's that nerve again. (laughs) Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. He says, repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly. Uh, quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, please, before I get into this, he's not saying that you're going to lose your salvation. What you're going to lose is your witness. That's what that means. And we'll apply that at the end. Look at three things here. Number one, remember from where you're flying. Go back to the place of the departure. Go back. Remember from where you you came. The, The first steps with Christ. For the Ephesian Christians... This means remembering the love for Christ which once burned in their heart. So often spiritual defection comes from forget- for forgetting where we have come from. I think this is the most dangerous thing in our nation. We are forgetting who we are as a people, how this nation was founded. Listen, no one has saying that anybody who founded this nation was perfect. I don't know where perfection became the standard of everything on planet Earth. I love to use their standard upon them. But you can't do that. That would be offensive. Of but think about we are, re- re- we are erasing our history, right or wrong, good or bad. Guys, we're supposed to learn from our history. Aren't you glad that we are not erasing yet King David? The guy was a jerk. Was he not? Did he not kill Uriah because of Uriah's hot wife? Did we erase David? Oh, that's offensive. Well, some churches are, but we're not doing that. And when we erase our history, when we forget where we come from, listen, so often... Spiritual defection comes from forgetting what we once knew and loved. Secondly, the command is to repent. It means to change the mind. The Ephesians were to have a difficult attitude towards Christ and reclaim their former love for him. It was difficult. It was a task, but they had to come back to it. They had to admit that their member... Arthur Fonzarelli couldn't say that he was wrong. Now, there's a couple of things that I just did. I just blew a couple of minds. Number one, what? a couple of people don't even know who Arthur Fonzarelli is. A, so I'm in the hole there. So Google that or go to a YouTube and find Arthur Fonzarelli in the happy days. Isn't it sad now that your pastor is at the age where he has to now explain the jokes Guys, you know people who will, they don't admit that they're wrong. The best thing that we can do is admit that we are wrong. Admit that you're wrong with your kids. I've done that through the years. Right, right, Micah, probably twice. (laughs) The best thing that you can do as a parent is admit that you're wrong and say, listen, I blew it. I made a mistake there. Let's fix that. So they're learning as children that, listen, my parents are not perfect. Guys, as believers, the best thing we can do is say, hey, man, I, I walked away from Jesus. Not You're not apostate. Ephesians are not apostate. We're going to see the Ephesians in heaven. This is not a salvation message. This is a burning message. This is... How my witness is, that's what we're going to focus in at the end. That's how we're going to tie it all together. Thirdly, the third command is the outgrowth of the first two. Do the works which you did at first. What did you used to do when you first came to Christ? What did you do? Did you show up midweek service? I got to go to a midweek service. Why? Because I'm working in the polluted world. And then at some point, Wednesday service. I'll just watch the YouTube video. Oh, Sunday service. Guys, we're, we're coming out of um, our winter and we're coming into spring. And I, but you know in the winter time, when it's really cold out and you're in your bed and it's very cozy, does the devil say the same thing to you that it says to me? Just stay in bed. It's so comfy in bed just watch Pastor Ron on your phone. What if I did that? (laughs) I'm tempted to do a Bible study in my pajamas from my bed. Don't tempt me. (laughs) What, What if I did that? Someone once said that long ago, not that it's applicable for everything, but they said, what if the pastor's walk was like your walk? What if the pastor's giving was like your giving? What if the pastor's service was like your service? Do the works you first did. A true love for God is always manifested in the works it produces. The Ephesian believers were faithful workers, but they were not merely bond slaves of Jesus Christ. They had given their hearts to their Savior in a love relationship. Mm-hmm. Where am I? Six. Oh, let's pick up the pace. Verse six. But this you have. That you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. So this is tied with uh, he's giving them a kudos. This is, again, something good that you are guy, you guys are doing. Um, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, there is just as much debate upon what the deeds of the Nicolaitan is as there are commentaries for Revelation. So we don't really know, but we do know what the word means, and I will apply it because I know what church history looked like after this. And so the word Nicolaitan, if you're taking note, means Nico and then Laetan. It means to lord over Nico, Laetan, the people, the laity, to lord over the people. That's what it means. And so there are people who said, well, no, it comes from this guy, Nicholas, and, and he started this order. And, and it could very well be all of that, That that's not the point. The point is this, is that it caused a system which was later built upon in the 300s, And it built upon what we know today is not only the Roman Catholic Church, not only the Lutheran Church, but the state church, the denominational ecclesiastical order. That's a big word. What does that mean? It means this. When human beings get control of the spiritual training of other people, and are in positions to dominate the church and their theological positions will eventually dominate that church as well. What did I just say? It means that after this point, they're started to set up a system of hierarchy of people that needed to be set apart differently. How do you think they were set apart differently? You'll get a mint if you get this right. Was it, what's one of, is, Think about uh, religion. And huge time organized religion. What do the people who are in control typically wear? Robes or something fancy that set them apart, right? You're like, oh, that's the pastor. You know the funnest thing? And that's a word. The funnest thing about coming to Calvary Chapel is pick out who the pastor is. That's why I try not to put my mic on because I kind of stand out at that point. Oh, that's the guy. But that's the great thing about coming to Calvary. I don't have a hat on. I don't have a robe on. I'm tempted to come out one of these things. Someone gave me a robe costume for my birthday. I think it was Bill. God will set him apart someday. But I was tempted to come out in that. You see, people look at that like, oh, that guy. He's holy, right? And so what the Nicolaitans did in the beginning is set forth a system that we have today, which is an ecclesiastical order, which means popes, bishops, and all of this organizational structure that Jesus never wanted. In fact, he says, I hate it. He says, I hate when men try to control other men. Think about that for a minute. There's pastor spaces in front of the hospital, clergy. Now, I have to admit, I've taken full advantage of that. (laughs) It's like if you're going to send me a check from the government, I'm not going to cash it. I take full advantage of that. And then there are other times where the Spirit says, Ron, don't park in the pastors." And this has happened to me. Pulling right up to it, and it says clergy, and got this little clergy sticker I can throw up. And he goes, go over there. Why, Lord? Well, you're putting on a few more pounds. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Jesus. (laughs) No, but there have been times where I don't park there, Ron. Just don't park there. Okay, okay, Lord, I'll park over there. It's easy for me to get into that. I'm the pastor. By the way, I have a name. It's Ron. Some of you may not know that. This was my God-given name. <laughs> but it, it, I have no problem with people saying pastor because it is a role that I fulfill, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's, I, I think that we have dumbed down the authority in the church as well. We have both spectrums today. We have the robe people, and then we have the skinny jean people. We'll get to them in another letter. (laughs) They've got their own letter. Oh, We may have to do like a two-hour Bible study that day. (laughs) But notice it says, I hate. Could you all note that when Jesus says he hates something, what should we do? As believers, we should hate the same thing. And you know what's, I cannot believe it, that the church forgot that and allowed this system to birth and come out, and we still have it today. Rather than someone saying, take the hat and the robe off. Because that's what God's word says. Oh, <clears throat> These are powerful words that come from our Savior. So whoever or whatever the Nicolaitans were, whatever exactly they were teaching, we learn something about Jesus, and we learn that if God hates something, we need to do the same thing. Lastly, verse 7. He who has an ear. How many of you have ears today? Okay. So now you can't leave with saying, well, I didn't know. Oh, you heard. He who has an ear. By the way, how many ears do you have? How many mouths do you have? Well, uh, some of you. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to listen twice as much than we speak. These are some profound statements. I didn't make them. Do you hear that? Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to him who overcomes, you're going to hear that over and over, the overcomers. I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. We will not focus on any of that. That is future. That is to come. In the new heavens and the new earth, we will see that. Not on this side of eternity, we will not. But let's apply it. We need to be overcomers. The church of Ephesus was the careless church. It was made up of careless believers who neglected their love for Christ. And so the question, are we guilty of the same thing? Are we guilty like the city of Ephesus who gave up over time trying to stop the silt Of the river blocking the passage of the port. Evidently, this made Ephesus not as important to the people and access to the sea. What I find interesting is in the book of Revelation, sea is a type and picture of the people, the nations of the world. Now, hear this. Let me really apply this. We've had fun with it. Let's apply it to our lives. This. Remember the silt. It didn't just fill in the port overnight. It was a slow process over time and even sometimes it was it wasn't even perceived that it was happening. It was so slow. When you got something important like a port city, you have to maintain that waterway to keep the things of the world out. Remember the silt is coming from the mountains, that's the world it's filtering into the bay, the harbor. It's clogging the harbor. The things of the world are clogging the harbor, the access to the people. We just left Luke, didn't we? And Jesus tells us to go, therefore, and to proclaim this message for, for our purposes to the seas, to the people. If we stay in that state, that means allowing the things of the world to fill at our port, we will not be as important of a witness to others as before. Our relationship with Jesus does affect our testimony and our witness to others, and someday it could look like the city of Ephesus. A city that was thriving, prosperous, wonderful testimony. But over the years, it just gave up on trying to clean out. Clean out the harbor. You know, guys, cleaning out the harbor takes a lot of work. By the way, it's smelly, too. It's dirty work. You know, we get saved and we think, this is awesome. I'm going to have a great job, never get a flat tire. My kids will always obey. I'm going to heaven. Yes, but it's dirty, stinking work sometimes. And to stay in that relationship that we used to have, to not have the things of the world clog our testimony. What's your testimony like? Did you used to be a believer? People would go, I want that. And now you have become just like every other city every other person. Why would I go there? There's there's no outlet. There's no access to them. Jesus would say clean out the harbor. Let me get a boat back in. Let me have a relationship once again with you. And again, this doesn't have anything to do with losing your salvation. It has everything to do with losing your testimony. And now you are ineffective for the kingdom of God because you've clogged the harbor. And now people don't have access to you, which you bring Jesus to them. Does everybody see that? That is the point of Ephesus. Uh, I mean, don't throw away the last hour. But look, just throw away everything. What's your access like? That's all that Jesus is saying here. You used to be full with me. There used to be a great passage And over time, you've got busy, and you've done church, and you've done religion, and no one has access to you anymore. Well, read ahead. Lord willing, next week, the church of Smyrna, only four verses, probably a little shorter (laughs) in length, but who knows? We'll get into the persecuted church for next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your mighty, powerful word. We thank you for the city of Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, the apostle Paul and John and all of the men and women that were involved in that ministry. Lord, I just pray for a searching heart today. Have we left our first love? Is our witness... Not like it used to be. Are we allowing the things of the world to choke out our testimony? Do people see on our social media more about us than you? Is it all about our bodies? Is it all about our business? Or is our testimony about you? Remember, it happens so slowly. And then we wake up and we have no testimony at all. Father, forgive us today. Let us repent and remember where we first loved you. Lord, let us erase and delete social media posts that are about us instead of you. Thank you, Lord, that your word is powerful and that it's alive. In 2021. Comfort our hearts today, Lord. Don't let the enemy beat us up. There is hope in you and that we can be overcomers. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's worship this last song. Again, ladies' Bible study meeting in here. There's also sign-ups there on the table, retreat information. There is all kinds of women, ministry, info. The guys don't know what we're doing. But the women, they're all planned up and ready to go. Wednesday night in the book of Hebrews, let's worship the Lord.